So Jeff, uh, I know you're a legendary coach, but still, can you like introduce yourself for the audience in Taiwan? Yeah, my name is uh, Coach Jeff Friday, and uh, I started my career as a, a grad assistant strength and conditioning coach at Illinois State, and from there, I was hired at Northwestern University of the Big Ten Conference, which is a big conference here in the United States. And I was hired to basically work with the, the basketball department. I was there for, for four seasons. And then after that tenure, I was hired uh, by the Minnesota Vikings of the National Football League. It's Amer American football. I was the assistant strength coach there for three years. We had success. And so I became the head strength and conditioning coach with the Baltimore Ravens. Again, it's the National Football League. Uh, had a nice tenure there, nine-year tenure. Um, the staff got fired after nine years of that tenure. I was uh, still under contract with the team. And so I took that year to really educate myself and I became a, a certified massage therapist during that year off. Uh, also became certified in what's called active release techniques, which is a, a chiropractic uh, system or it's a, it's a system of deep tissue uh, massage. <clears throat> and then I was the director of strength and conditioning for a startup league called United Football League. And uh, after that tenure of one season, uh, I was hired by the Cincinnati Bengals in the National Football League as, a, as, as an assistant strength coach. That tenure, uh, we had success. That tenure lasted nine years as well. Uh, fired with the staff. And then I became the head strength coach of another startup football league in the XFL. Uh, of the DC defenders and and actually the XFL um, used the model of the UFL which was which I was with prior as as the model for success because those startup leagues it's hard to have success and so I was with the XFL and that ended early due to COVID and then I just uh, recently came out with a, a book and am sports training locally in the in the Cincinnati area and um, just working reacquainted with basketball and academies and other sports in the area. And so that's that's what I'm doing now more speaking, uh, talking, uh, things things like that. All right. So I'm gonna start with uh, how exactly do what? start with basketball then ended up with football how exactly does that work so i had a passion for basketball i played basketball in high school and so i was hired by the men's basketball strength coach at that time i was the assistant strength coach at northwestern university a big 10 school nowadays Schools have like five strength coaches for football. Basketball has one plus GAs or assistants and all the sports have one. Well, I was it. I was the assistant. And so I worked with men's and women's basketball uh, as well as other sports. And I asked the, the, the men's basketball coach, his name's Bill Foster. Uh, Bill Foster was an older coach, coached at Duke University, very decorated coach. And I said, Coach, would you mind if I travel with the basketball team uh, to be with the guys and help out and serve? And he's like, sure, that'd be great. And so with traveling, which whatever city we traveled to, I'd always try to meet a strength coach in that city. And my heart was really to take the information and bring it back to the athletes that I was working with. And so... We're playing in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, another Big Ten school. 
And so I, I called up the strength coach of the Minnesota Vikings, the National Football League. And I said, hey, would you mind if I came over and, and did, a, did a quick visit of your facility? It was a Saturday in January, cold. I just happened to have a buddy that was in town. So he drove me out to the complex, which was in the suburbs of the city. I spent an hour with a strength coach. And while I was there, I said, hey, would you mind if I come back and watch you train the guys during training camp? He said, sure. And so, you know, the basketball season's over, it's summertime, and then in football, training camp starts towards the end of summer. And so I, I went to Minneapolis, and the Vikings held their training camp at a college called Mankato State. And back in those days, the football teams would go away from their complex, kind of sequester themselves, team building, just them. And so they all found a local college that was in close proximity, usually to the to the to the complex. And so I go to Mankato State University. And also back then, the teams took their weight room with them. And so the way they set things up is that they put a tent next to the practice field. And under this tent would be the weight room. And so it, it was it was a really neat setup. And so I go to uh, the, the the tent, the weight room with my cup of coffee, expecting to watch the strength coach, his name was Steve Wetzel, train the guys. And so the way the structure was, was that in the National Football League back in those days, this is the early 90s, there was very few rules for contact in practice. And so what coaches would do, they would have a padded practice where you're wearing a helmet, pads, you're, you're tackling. They'd have a practice in the morning and a practice in the afternoon, physical practices. And they would do this, you know, every day of the week for, for many weeks, maybe with a Sunday off. Well, Denny Green, the head football coach, what he did was he had a morning practice of pads. He had the afternoon basically off with just a special teams practice where, you know, just maybe one third or half of the roster practiced. So the whole afternoon was set up to lift the entire team. And so it was a way to get recovery in as well, as well as keeping your strength. And so the system that the, the strength coach ran was that they started right after lunch at about 1230. Two players came every five minutes. And so there's 80, to, there's 90 players in the roster. It was about a 30 minute workout. And so two players came that lasted till about four or 430. And so it was a four, four hour time block. And so what happened was, uh, let's say me and you are training together. So a coach would actually set my seat height, put the weights on the bar. I would go, you would go, Eric, he would set the seat height, set the weights, you would go. And it was kind of an assembly line fashion. And so I got my cup of coffee and I'm ready to watch these guys train. Well, it just turned out that he relied on part-time help to help him out because that's a long, a long weightlifting session with a lot of guys. Well, the part-time help didn't show up. So all of a sudden I got thrust into coaching during the workout. And so the way the system was set up was that the veterans, the older players, they came later in the afternoon for their lift because after practice, they had lunch, the veterans could take a nap, relax. They come back for a later lift time and that bleeds into dinner meetings. It was a beautiful system. And so one of the last players to walk in the weight room, his name was Chris Carter. Chris Carter is in the Hall Pro Football Hall of Fame as a wide receiver. And so because he was the last guy in the weight room, I ended up spending the most time with him. And so he is leaving the tent, leaving the weight room, and he turns around to the head strength coach, Steve Wetzel. He goes, hey, Wetzel, you got to hire that guy, referring to me. And so sure enough, Two years later, I get a call from Steve Wetzel of the Minnesota Vikings. He says, Friday, he says, you're the second guy in my list. 
The first guy was at the University of Michigan, big, big time football program. Uh, but his wife was also a gymnastics coach. He's like, Friday, uh, you know, he's my first choice, but his wife's got a good job. So if he turns it down, you're my guy. Well, that's what happened. That guy turned it down. I got hired and I went from basketball to football. And I ended up spending 21 years in the National Football League as a strength coach. And so I think I think what what I like about that story and myself is that I was truly I was I I was learning. I was visiting to learn. I wasn't really my mind wasn't, hey, I got to get that job. And so it just happened naturally. And that's that's how I got in the in the NFL. This is like the story is so excited, you know. That kind of remind me like <clears throat> when I when I when I tried to like apply for like grad school and uh <clears throat> I did I just accidentally did a podcast with Adam and after the podcast he just invited me here. That's kind I'm not saying it's the same but it's like what you do, what we do. We just want to learn something and end up like this. It's really yeah. exciting. Yes. It's um well the thing about coaching is that it's a relationship driven profession. And so you you need to typically have a relationship to get a job. When you're the athlete, that's not quite the case. The athlete is basically the talent level, skill level that gets in the job. Now, athletes will hang out or hang around or go to different teams with coaches through relationship because they know the system. But once that window for the athlete closes, it's done. Whereas coaches, it's it's really relationship driven. So I think that uh, to get into the coaching profession, um, I think I think you have to put yourself in positions to meet people, to learn, and and to be to be honest with you, um, I got my job at Northwestern because I volunteered as a women's college basketball coach. That's how I got my strength coach job. So when I was an undergrad at the university, I knew I wanted to coach. And so I was dabbling in different forms of coaching. And one of these ways was coaching women's basketball is volunteering. And so when I put my application in to Northwestern University, there was 125 applicants and they brought four of us in. And so I'm sitting there in the interview with the head coach, Bill Foster. And all of a sudden he starts asking me about my experience, experience coaching women's basketball at a really small college. And this was before Title IX. Title IX is prevailing now. It's it's equality. It's equality between men's and women's sports. But back uh, then in the in the early 90s, there was no Title IX. And so to be in an interview for a Big Ten basketball coach and have the coach start asking me about the small college experience at a women's college or women's team, uh, what happened was the head coach at this woman's team, the head coach at Northwestern had a mutual best friend. And that best friend, that separation, it separated me from 125 applicants to get that job just from volunteering, putting myself out there, doing a, doing a, a good job, competent, but that, that separated me. And what happened was when I got that job at Northwestern, they gave me the bin of resumes. Like here, Jeff, you want you want you want these resumes? Sure. So I I, I paged through the resumes, and in that pile, there was resumes of strength coaches that went on to do wonderful, wonderful things. But yet I got that job because of of probably relationship. So it is it is really important for the young strength strength coaches coming in to 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 rub elbows with other coaches. Nice. You know what I what I learned from your story also is like I talked to uh head strength coaches at the NBA. There's like multiple head strength coaches. And one thing I noticed it's kind of same about like 
kind of same about all of your background is those guys didn't really work with basketball before they went into the NBA. It's just like you, you didn't really work with football before you uh, go to the NFL. So uh, in your experience, is that a thing that helped you grow as a coach or that's kind of when you're at the league that kind of like, it's a harder at the beginning yeah, well, so there's a couple ways to answer your question. Number one, the strength coach that hired me, it was about the training system. And so the training system for basketball was similar to football in his eyes. Yeah, there's 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 twists and turns that you you make for the individual sport but the basic philosophy was the same. So that's number one. Number two, there was a really big learning curve because I went from a college situation where you're working with 18 to 21 year olds to a pro setting where you're working from 21 to 35 grown men. And so there was a learning curve there because in the college setting, it was more, uh, you know, more, more, I'm not going to say dictatorship, but it was more, you tell the athlete kind of what to do. It was more rah, rah, you know, whereas in the pros, they just want good information. They want to know why you're doing what we're doing, how it can benefit them. And so, uh, and not, not that a coach shouldn't do that at the college level, but I, I just, I just wasn't as as good at that time at explain the why. And so that really accelerated my curve is, is dealing with grown men who that was their livelihood. And you had to have your eyes dotted, T's crossed, and really know why you're doing what you're doing, because otherwise they they could they could not they could choose not to do it. Yeah. Because if you if you think about it. The human beings that we coach, they all have a choice. They can choose to do what you ask, or they can choose not to. And so there's a lot of things that go into it. It's, it's, it's relationship-driven. It's how you articulate, how you educate. So there's a lot of things that go into it. So that really helped my learning curve. Nice. I like it. So uh want to like go back to the experience when you were in basketball. And after like 10 years ago to football, right? So uh, what are the game demands from basketball to football? I know nowadays, since like maybe 20 years later, it's already like changed. But at your time, is the game demands different? The biggest change was the demands of the sport as far as contact. So football is a collision sport. So I think that in the, in the strength training realm, my vision, my goal is really number one, to protect the body. So like if you would look at an injury report, whether it's the sport of football or the sport of basketball, an injury can occur anywhere in the body and be debilitating. And so as a strength coach, we have to know the top injury sites and make sure that we are really think of a knight in shining armor going into battle with all the iron to protect their body. I feel as strength coaches, we are similar in that we want to protect our athletes going, going to battle. So, so to speak. So because football is a collision sport and some of the uh, areas of, of high injury probability that, changed the workouts a little bit from basketball um but the actual strength training was really very similar in the philosophy that i was was using the demands were more the metabolic demands of football being a five second sport the average play in football goes from about 1.99 seconds to about 12 seconds Roughly an average of five seconds per play. Whereas basketball, you can have periods of 15 to 20 seconds of high intensity 
you know, effort or, or moderate intensity even. So, so the conditioning demands, they did vary, but the strength train demands outside of a few muscle groups that you would really, really accentuate the strength training was, was, was fairly similar. Cool. So, um, when we talk about like, uh, sorry. So from basketball to football, um, and you were mentioning your thought process was like protecting your athletes. I thought at that time, like, uh, it was about like peak, uh, peaking or like helping your athlete have much more power output. But you mentioned like, um, protecting your athlete. I really like that mindset, but, um, why is like in your mind or in your thought process, why is it protecting your athlete first instead of like, um, helping like gaining much higher strength output, higher peak power output? Why is that? I think that if an athlete gets injured, especially at the pro level, they are not available. And when you're not available, you lose your job. You get paid to play. So I think that having the athlete available is a number one goal. If you would look at, let's say, the National Football League, if you would look at the games lost by starters, if you have a lot of games lost by starters, there's usually a correlation of losses in games, losing games. And so if you if your best players are on the field playing, your chance of winning games is higher. So you really want to have your best players out there. And so that's where the that's where the mindset comes in of protecting the athlete. Because if the athlete's not out there, they're not going to help you. And as I mentioned earlier, that injury can occur anywhere, anywhere in the body. So the way I, I the way I look at the human body is just trying to train as many joint angles as possible to protect those muscle groups that work around those joints. I worked with a Hall of Fame offensive tackle, a lineman in pro football. And his career was cut short because the smallest joint in his body got hurt, his, his toe. Now, it's hard to protect the toe, but my point is that you never know where that injuries occur, injury occurs. And so um, I think, uh, I think that, that, that was a reason of the, of the thinking. The reason I like, brought up this question is because I think nowadays there's like more and more sport tech people are chasing like peak power, like max strength, whatever it is. And we're, I personally, I think that sometimes we get too much into the weed of like the numbers, the data. We lose the whole picture about like, uh, keeping our athletes healthy. So that's why like I brought up that question and I really love it. And, it goes back to like uh, it kind of go back to when you were at Louisville. We have a discussion about like uh, there's like science part of this uh strength training and there's art of coaching. So what do you think about like uh nowadays there's like more and more sport tech, and we mo- probably focus more on the numbers and compared to like uh probably old school like certain coaches they focus on the person they focus on the movement i'm not saying that which one is better but like your thoughts on this yeah my thoughts is that accountability is great so you can get accountability in different forms it could be from some of the sports science technology that's out there it's simply from a workout card If I have a workout card that shows me the best effort that I've ever done with an exercise, that is the end goal. 
And then the workout shows me what I did last time. And then what am I doing today? That's a roadmap. And that, that gives me account. That gives the athlete accountability. So within that workout card for that exercise, there's an opportunity for the coach to come in and offer encouragement, offer a touch point of love, a high five, a good job. And that's what accountability does. And so it could be as simply as recording one of the exercises you do in the weight room. It could be uh, monitoring a vertical jump, um, the amount of, of force uh, on a force plate. So I think all those things are important. Um, I think that especially if we're talking about basketball, it's a highly skilled sport. Highly skilled. Me and you know, if you're watching a basketball game and you have a player with an open three and they miss it, that's not good. That guy's probably be sitting on the bench. So I think the skill is number one. Same with same with the NFL football. It's a highly skilled sport. So I think that's number one. And then I think that we try to accentuate those skills by adding some conditioning, some strength, some power, all those little facets. But sometimes I think that we have the blinders on, sometimes, and we think that the weight room area is sometimes the most important area. And it's really not. It's really not. I mean, that's – you look at in basketball, I mean, those those major schools, they're getting, the, what, the five-star recruits. They're getting the talented players. They're getting the one and done because they're going to they're going to the pros, and that's typically what it takes. It's the talent, and so I think that we can really augment and help that talent. And so there is no right or wrong. I think the account accountability is good, uh, but I think sometimes we put our energy into factors that maybe maybe don't correlate to the game. Is that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, I like it. So uh, I'm going to jump to the next topic. Uh, at at the time you were at Louisville, you gave us a presentation. I really like it. So you talk about like your career. So can we talk about like from like, uh, is it like 20 something or 30 years, 26 years of your career? Is it 26? Uh, 20, well, it's 21 in the NFL. Four years, uh, six oh. years in college. Also, oh, twenty-seven. Twenty-seven plus two, two startup. Oh yeah, football leagues, and then kind of what I'm doing now. So, so twenty, nine, twenty, twenty, twenty-nine years of like experience. Mm-hmm. Um, for the younger strength coach, or like for people like me, I want to make it to to like NBA or NFL. Do you have like some suggestion for like me? I want to grow as the best strength coach I can be, be at be at the best sprint coach I can be. So, like, do you have some su- suggestion or recommendation for those young strength coaches? Yeah. So when I was a young strength coach, I immersed myself in the literature. Um, when I was younger, I started off dabbling with Olympic weightlifting. And so Olympic weightlifting is research driven. It's a sport. And so government systems provide the research for that sport. And so you get a lot of really good things from Olympic weightlifting as far as that goes. And so so I, that's what I learned as a youngster. And I had translated material from Russia, uh, got my Olympic Weightlifting Federation certification, uh, all those things. Um, and so I think that as a young strength coach, you really want to study the X's and O's of strength training, whether it be the power training, uh, speed training, even run, you know, running. Um, and the Olympic lifts, and just become well-versed in all of the different 
methodology that are out there. I think that you have to also have your foundation on some principles. What 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 is the principles that you adhere to? So so for me as a young strength coach, one of the principles that I adhered to was how to do a repetition. When you're in the weight room, a coach, what are you coaching? You're coaching a repetition. So how is that athlete executing what you want? Games have been won or lost based on the repetition of a player missing a free throw. That repetition wasn't good. Or in the sport of football, the quarterback, American football, drops back, throws to the wide receiver who maybe ran the wrong route. That's a bad rep. The ball could get intercepted. Same thing happens in the weight room. And so what I was taught was the foundation of how to properly perform a repetition. What that means is that you, when you, if you're doing a bicep curl, when you raise the weight, you try to eliminate momentum. You eliminate momentum because that momentum can take away from the muscle doing the work. Also, that momentum can create more force to the body than what it's used to or can handle. For instance, if I'm doing an overhead press, let's say it's a 60-pound bar, and I use like a jerk movement, momentum, that 60-pound bar all of a sudden becomes a 900-pound a bar with force. And so if you look at the sport of American football, one in two athletes that walk in the weight room have a debilitating injury that will worsen with time. So the athletes come to you usually in a state where they've had an injury history and some debilitation. In basketball, maybe the ankle. Ankle is the number one injury site in basketball. Number two is the knee, and it's usually tendonitis. So if you if you create too much momentum sometimes, you can maybe exasperate a problem. So you wanna you wanna watch that raising of the weight so there's not a lot of momentum. You always wanna, I was taught you always want to pause in that pause in that that end of end of the movement. That's an isometric contraction. So if we're talking bicep curl, raising is a concentric, pause is an isometric contraction. And then you want to lower the weight, eccentric contraction, under control, usually two times longer than it takes to raise the weight because you have gravity helping you with that weight. And so those are some checkpoints that, that I adhere to when I coach. When I coach, I'm always saying, hey, full range of motion, slow it down, watch the bounce. You know, those are my cues, and that's how I judge what a repetition is. Now, we could sit here and dialogue, hey, if you're doing a, a snatch or a clean, there's momentum. Yeah, there's based on the exercises, there's, there's different qualities we're trying to get. But in large, that's what I'm coaching. So as a young coach, I would just make sure that they have the principles that are their foundation. And once you have the principles, you can play with all this different methodology because back in 1992, there was a book called Designing Resistance Training Programs. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was promoting this book. And in this book, they had, I think, 20 to 30 different uh, protocols for strength training. And in these protocols, all but one gave favorable results as far as body composition. The point being is that you can get stronger and change your body with all kinds of different programs. It's not rocket science. But as a coach, what are you hanging your hat on as far as what you're coaching? And so what I've learned in my, my journey is – Number one, 
do no harm. And so when I mentioned earlier about protecting the athlete from injury, as a as a health practitioner, that's a that's the that's a Hippocratic oath. Do no harm to your patient. And so if you go into that Hippocratic oath a little bit deeper, they talk about if you do harm, it's better if you had done nothing. So as a coach, I, I, I evaluate, I'm always evaluating the risk to reward. If the risk starts climbing above the reward, I, I won't do it. I won't do it. Unless, unless it's dictated by the head coach or sometimes the player through conversation wants to do it. I mean, there's, 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 there are, there are times when that risk outweighs the benefit, but by and large, the rewards got to be higher than the benefit. My second lesson that I've learned is that time equals life. We only have so much finite time in our life. As a strength coach, I do not want to waste your time. It's too valuable. And I think that we can get caught up in wasting athletes' time by, by programming maybe too much volume. So you're wasting time with sets, doing, doing maybe exercises that aren't going to help you get the result. And I think that's prevalent, especially now with social media and you see something that's that's glitzy or catchy. I got I want to try that when. It's really what's the what's the progression to get there, and so those are my two big things as I've as I've learned through. And don't get me wrong, I've had athletes get injured right in front of me, right in front of me. So what I'm articulating is based on experience. I'm when I'm talking to your audience, I'm not talking like down, like oh you got it. It's like I've been there. I've I've felt the pain of someone getting hurt under my care. I've I've wasted someone's time. I've took time away from their life because I, I was doing stuff that that wasn't really being efficient. And I think sometimes that comes down to how you coach a repetition. I mean, if you coach a repetition the correct way and you come to the end of that set, whatever repetition, repetition range it is, you may have created enough of an inroad to create change. And so then as a coach, you may have to evaluate, hey, do I need to do another set or or two more sets? That's 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 kind of the art of coaching. Because like me, like when I have a headache, when I have a headache, what I do is I'll take one Advil. And typically, typically that headache will go away. So why, why would I take three or four Advil? And that's kind of what I'm talking about as coaches, sometimes we want to dose too much when we don't really have to we can get a result with less and that's kind of what i mean by wasting someone's time i like it i like it so uh besides those two lessons for all those years of like career training athletes have you ever like um make some mistakes i don't know what just like um maybe like me i like my athlete got injured under my watch so how do you deal with those mistakes that you make never do it again once once yes to answer your question yes players have been injured right in front of me due to my coaching or my programming and so I have taken that, logged it in my mind, and I will never do that again because the risk outweighed the benefit. And there's times when I've even programmed something and I'm watching it and no one got hurt, but in the back of my mind, I know that wasn't in the best interest of the athlete, but I did it anyway because because 
the research says I should do it or this coach says I should do it. And I, and I know it's not in the best interest. So, so to answer your question, I, yes, I've been part of that. And that's how I've learned. I just vowed never to do that. I, I don't want to be responsible. I go back to the, the Hippocratic oath. It's better if you've done nothing. If someone gets hurt under your care, because some injuries, some injuries you, you can't take back. If you hurt a low back, that's with that athlete for the rest of their life. Yeah. I I I met a I met a gentleman the other day who was a college football player. And uh when I introduced myself and told him I was a strength coach, right away, this is 20 years later, he said, Yeah, my strength coach hurt my back in college. Oh, no. But that's 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 the influence we can have as coaches, though. That's for your audience to know that we really can impact lives in a wonderful, wonderful way, but we can also do some harm. And even though the heart is really good and, and we're not trying to, sometimes we can do harm through our programming. And I liken, I liken the human body to a tire on a car. So when you buy a tire for your car, the car I got, it's I, I want it's an eighty thousand mile tire. I expect to get eighty thousand miles on that tire. Well, I think what happens as strength coaches, we take treads off of the tire of the athlete by what we do in the weight room. So it may not even show up in the weight room. But the stress to the joints, the ligaments, the ten whatever we're doing, sometimes can maybe show up later in life in a debilitating effect from what was done in the weight room. So I think we have a grave responsibility with care with our athletes. And so everything should be scrutinized by the coach. I like it. I love this. Last thing, okay? I know at the beginning you mentioned that uh you're at uh Minnesota Vikings and then uh Vikings and then Baltimore Ravens after yeah, that. Yeah, Ravens and then Cincinnati Bengals, right? So uh for all those years of success you have great success. But you also like got fires fired a few times did that like i i know you mentioned this when you were at louisville and you brought this up at the first part of our conversation today does those like those does those like firing hit you hard and how do you get back from that you the firings uh do hit hard what when you're in a community when you're in a team setting, you love, you're giving love to the athletes and other people in the organization and you're receiving love. And then you're asked to leave that community against your will, really. That's very hurtful. And for me, that can, that, that can stay with me for a while especially when you live in the same city of the team you got fired with. When I was with the Baltimore Ravens, we won a Super Bowl. I was a head strength coach of a Super Bowl winning team and got fired, I think it was eight years later of our tenure. The new coach that came in, he had immediate success, went to the playoffs right away. And that at the human element that hurts. It's you know it's like breaking up with your girlfriend or someone you love. It's and so you have to uh, learn forgiveness. You have to have I think grace for yourself, knowing that um, sometimes you do the best job you can and it's it's going to happen, especially in pro sports where. The bottom line is winning and losing. And so I think I think to get over that, uh, for me, for me, it was having a strong home, wife, 
who I could talk with. There was a faith element, a relationship with God. So I could understand my purpose of why I'm here, why this happened. And I think that I've been fired twice, un unable to get a job both, both times. In my career, I was voted strength coach of the year in the National Football League. That's the highest accolade you can get. That's the highest. The lowest is being fired twice, unable to get a job. So there's, there's humility with that. And I think that um, the faith, the purpose, when I look back, I'm a much better person, much better coach for what happened after the firings. What I mean by that is the experiences, the people I met, the learning. I mentioned earlier to you that when I got fired by the Baltimore Ravens, I spent a year of education going to massage school, which I couldn't have done if I was employed, getting my massage therapy license, getting my active release techniques. So I used that time a way to better myself, bettered myself in the UFL. Then I got reinserted to the NFL. When I got hired, when I got fired from the Bengals, it was a different growth process. I was later in life. So the growth there happened more, I think, more spiritually for me. The pride, there's pride saying you're from the NFL. There is. Like with you, you're with the University of Louisville. Louisville is a, is a major, major program. So when when you're introduced as part of the Louisville staff, there's a there's there's a, there's a part of you that's hey you know hey look at me kind of I mean that's that's the way it was for me in the NFL you're at the highest level, and so there's an element of pride there. Pride is um, pride is like a self sufficiency um, that you can do it all yourself. I had that thinking sometimes maybe you're better than somebody else, and I think that spiritually after my last firing. I've been stripped away of that in more humility, which is really, really good for me. And I'm in a really good place. So uh, that I would encourage your audience that if their tenure does end, that there's something better on the other side of that. I like it. I like our, our conversation today. I want to add one other thing. Life is about adversity. Life is really about suffering. When you suffer, like a firing, when you suffer, you then develop perseverance. Perseverance, fighting through, fighting, you know. That perseverance gives you character. It develops your character. And then that gives you hope. Are you, you're familiar with um, the super compensation yeah, yeah. Or you have homeostasis, you have a training load or a stress, you dip down, and then you have recovery, and you're at a new level, right? You're at a 1% yeah. bet or whatever it is. The same thing in life. That's the same thing. So me and you are at homeostasis right now, and then you lose a job. There's suffering. But then there's perseverance on your end through the suffering. You persevere. And then that perseverance gets you super compensate. And then you're developing your character. Because that's what life is. Life is overcoming those barriers. And there's new opportunities. So I want to encourage, I want to encourage those young coaches if they go through that, that there's something better for them on the other side. I like it. I like it. So for those who are interested in what we're talking about today, where can they reach out to you? Yeah, can I give you one more thing? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, okay. So I wanna I wanna encourage your audience that they can all be leaders in their realm. It could be the home, the weight room, uh, doesn't matter. And leadership is not about how tall you are, how good looking, 
how articulate. That stuff doesn't matter. It comes down to three basic elements. Number one, being authentic. Being real. Being comfortable in your own skin. The opposite of authentic, authenticity is fake or phony. And I remember when I was a young strength coach and I was with the Baltimore Ravens, we had a 10,000 square foot weight room, real big weight room. And I was on the other, the other side of the weight room from the entrance, the door. And we had a player by the name of Ray Lewis walk through the door. Ray Lewis is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, one of the best linebackers in the history of the National Football League. And I remember yelling across the room, hey, Ray, it's great to see you, you know. And later on, he comes up to me and he's like, hey, 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 Jeff, you know, why did you yell my name across the, across the weight room? I said, well, I was, I was glad to see you, but the reality is I didn't do that for everybody else. So I was not being authentic. So be authentic, number one. Number two, have humility. Humility is uh, not thinking you're better than somebody else. It could be listening to someone's ideas, being a team player, because the opposite of that is what we just talked about, and that's pride. And pride, that self-sufficiency, I'm better than you, that is really the downfall of man, is pride. The devil or Satan thought that he was better than God. And so there's an order to everything we do. It's it's God up here, and then there's an order, and we're down here some. But there's a, like in our family, you know, the, the, the man, the woman. All, well, Satan thought he was better than God, pride, and so he got cast out of cast out of him. So be authentic, be humble. Number three, have courage. Courage to confront for what is right. And so um, all three of those areas are areas that I've struggled with. It can be a daily struggle. It can be a seasonal struggle. I mean, when you're a head strength coach, the National Football League, and a player walks in a minute late, it takes courage to confront that player. And so I really had to develop that courage. So I just want to encourage your audience that they can all lead from where they're at. You don't have to walk out there for the coin flip, you know, at half court. You don't have to be the head strength coach. They can, you can lead from anywhere. Be authentic, be humble, have courage. People can find me. Uh, I have my website is, is, is jefffriday.com. I do have a book called Built for Winning builtforwinning.com and that book all it is is i think there's a deep hunger for for all of us to get on the other side of of the curve the bell-shaped curve the performance curve that's where our conversation was a little bit today how do you get to the other side of the curve as a coach and as, as a person and that's what my book does my book gives you strategies to help move you along that along that curve built for winning Nice, nice. Wait a sec.